When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Screen Talk. We're still in the uh, weeds of uh, the late uh, phases of the Oscar race. I have Eric Cohn, uh, executive editor of IndieWire, and he's fresh back from South by Southwest. And Eric, please fill us in on all of your I'm doing. I'm back. I'm back. I survived. I survived the mayhem of Austin, which is uh, kind of like going to a 24 hour party that happens to have an industry component to it. I mean, coming out of the, the last two years that we've had, it's like the, the opportunity to have this intensely social experience was ubiquitous. So it was great to be down there though. We've never had South by ahead of the Oscars. So it was very strange to be living in two places at once, be following your updates from award season at the same time as being, you know, watching, films that weren't really figuring into that conversation and so forth, but it, it was must great. have been a kind of welcome escape. I mean, so, so is the Driscoll hotel still the, uh, the hub of, of activity and were, were you COVID anxious there or did you just throw it away and throw away your mask and forget about it? It came and went. I mean, there's no question that, uh, you give up a certain degree of safety precautions just by putting yourself into an environment like that. And I would go to parties where there were maskless people all over the place. And even if everyone was showing their vaccine card at the door, you still were kind of thinking, you know, is this going to be the one that finally gets me? I mean, that it's impossible not to fully divorce yourself from that. Um, the mask went on and off in different different situations. Um, I will say at screenings, you were probably wearing it, right? Yeah, I tr tried to. And, and I think that the festival was good about asking people before screens, please keep your mask on unless you're eating and drinking. They can't force that. But but it was requested. Um, so it was OK. I mean, I, I as far as I know, I'm not sick a few days back from the festival, thankfully. And uh, and I didn't have any uncomfortable experiences in that respect overall. Um, what was nice was that it was uh, there was a, a good range of films and TV shows that were launching there uh, that didn't feel like they were sort of reflective of the strange times that we're in. It wasn't like there were, you know, like long delayed projects that were finally seeing the light of day by and large. I mean, these were, these were movies that were made last year that were to a large degree being presented as theatrical movies and, uh, and not things that had just been like sitting on the shelf or whatever. So there was this real sense of, you know, we want to go back to some sense of, of launching movies that can have a bigger life using the platform that, South by was providing. So I saw a lot what of What were stuff. some of the breakout hits that we're yeah. likely to see in theaters? So the opening opening film, which opens next week, Everything Everywhere All at Once from the Daniels uh, uh, directing. This is the one Swiss that brings back Michelle Yeoh, right? Yeah, Michelle Yeoh is, is terrific in the movie. I mean, it's this sort of 
martial arts matrixy kind of a story about a woman who realizes that she's living in multiple dimensions at once, but it's also an actually touching mother daughter story um, and about the immigrant experience in a very poignant way. Even as all these absurd things happen, as she realizes that um, she's living in, in all these different worlds at the same time. And Jamie Lee Curtis is sort of the villain of the story. She's an IRS agent who in different kinds of realities, depending on when you see her, um, is either a lover or a, or a super villain of sorts. So she has a lot of fun with this crazy character, but that was, that was great. I mean, it's, it's overlong. It's kind of messy in parts because it's so uncompromising and that's the way Daniels as a unit seem to work, but it's, you just, you got to give yourself over to the fun of it and to see Michelle Yeoh do a character that's that, um, you know, strange and different. It's, it's a fun story just to talk about her in this context. And I think the movie will have a fun life because there's, there's going to be internet theories like crazy about what it's really about and all that kind of stuff. But it's also kind of silly in a way that that's, makes it a crowd pleaser. And that wasn't the only one. There was a Nicolas Cage movie from Lionsgate called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is basically about Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage, uh, being forced to, because uh, his other career options are drying up, take on a screenplay written by some wealthy guy in Spain, played by no less than Pedro Pascal. Um, My fave. Who, yeah, who, who is this really kooky character who's a huge, like, Nicolas Cage super fan. And they spend time on his little island together, and it kind of becomes this contrived espionage plot that I don't want to spoil. But... Primarily, it's a studio buddy movie and they, they bond over their kind of shared love of movies and, and Nicolas Cage rediscovers his passion for acting. Bottom line, it's not like a lot of these these really weird Nicolas Cage movies. It's actually a very accessible comedy. Uh, so that that was sort of the, the surprise reveal here in a way is that Cage allowed himself to be a part of something like this on this level. Now, Lionsgate's putting it out in April. I guess we'll see how far the Nicolas Cage kind of enthusiasm goes in that respect. You know, is that enough to sustain this movie as a commercial release? Well, he but, came out yeah. of pig very well, by the yep. way, over the weekend, one of the many uh, parties I went to, I ended up talking to uh, Michael Sarnowski, the director, the writer, director. of Right. Who won for, a spirit award. Yeah, he was, he won the spirit and then he was up for um, best first time director. Uh, at the DGA, and they already assigned him uh, the uh, Quiet Place sequel that he's working right. on right Third now one, yeah. to write and direct. So uh, that's a pretty swift ascent from yeah. the first time for a first time filmmaker to a and, and Nicolas Cage was talking about that. I did an interview with him that ran over the uh, last week. And um, he was talking about that because obviously there was a real Oscar campaign for him on pig, which he didn't, he didn't get the nomination. He for, didn't seem to take it very seriously. He seemed to be yeah. okay with that. And, and one He's of an Oscar winner. but also, I mean, the movie did put this filmmaker on that path. And I do think there's something really kind of cool about that. So to have this kind of eccentric, but, very well liked art house movie and then a more commercial yeah, buddy so, movie. So he's he's on good a, you know, he's on a good path. Yep. We like we like this. Um so so anything else you did did you, I I'm expecting you're still gonna be writing something about your VR experience. Is yeah, that I, I spent some time within the XR section, which was really well set up this year. It was a good range of projects. And even though I, you know, personally I got interested in in trying more VR stuff during the pandemic because it was something that I could do remotely by and large, it is better to be able to go to a festival 
festival and do it because it's almost set up like an expo and you can kind of wander around to different booths. And a lot of times the creators are there so you can talk to them. And I did some really cool stuff. I did a, a, a dance piece that was set to Rite of Spring, where basically you wear a headset and a dancer dances around you. So when you're wearing the headset, you see the dancer move, except she's multiplied several times over. So you're actually seeing ma- many dances move and you that can would kind creep of me out. Them. <laughs> you would have a great time, man. I'm telling you, I was trying to get my dance moves on in that context, but I also did some, some really interesting, um, immersive theater pieces and things like that. So, um, that was, that was, you know, a, a welcome excuse to just kind of dig further into the, the festival experience, uh, recognizing that there's, there's more to come. I mean, what, you know, when we'll be on the ground at Cannes and, and other kinds of festivals that are popping back Let's up. Let's talk about Cannes. We have three titles, uh, already. We, I, I found out right before it was announced that yes, indeed, uh, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is going to, to be there, but it looks mm-hmm. like they're also going to bring Tom Cruise's Top Gun sequel. What, what's the third one? George Miller. Yep. George Miller. Years, uh, a solitude. Yep. 3,000 Years of Solitude. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, the last time he made a movie, it went to Cannes, and that was Fury Road, and that certainly went over pretty well. So we never discount Miller. I mean, I think we'll we'll continue to hear more kind of bits and pieces of this. I mean, to me, the bigger question, and the one that I always enjoy digging into, is what are the the less obvious films, the, the you know, European and Asian auteurs who can really take off at the festival, or somebody who's like, quote unquote, graduating the competition the way that Julia DeCurno did last year. But I mean, sure, let's get the big stuff out of the way right now. Tom Cruise will be walking the red carpet and getting some sort of special tribute at the festival. Well, it's also, those movies are about launching uh, their overseas runs and doing the promotional junkets and everything. They're really marketing launches, and it's a sign that the box office is going to be coming back around the world. And and, uh, I hope, although there are are signs of COVID in Germany and Italy and and, uh, Asia, so we're going to have to keep our masks on hand. It's a larger scale (laughs) version of this question that I had at South by, you know, is at any moment in time, this an irresponsible or unsafe thing to be doing? We don't know, but we continue to just try to move ahead. forward. I'm going to so, get, I did it last yeah, year and I'm doing it again. It. Yep, so, exactly. And in any right. case, you had a busy weekend too, not doing South by stuff. I, I would go on Twitter, which one does when you're at South by to kind of follow the buzz. And then all of a sudden you would be you know, at the AFI luncheon or whatever. So I, it was constantly trying to like, I was like trying to reconcile these two things happening at the same time. But yeah, how did it so, so the so the weekends churned along, but Friday was the, uh, so Monday last week, we had talked about the, the Oscar nominee luncheon. So Friday was the AFI awards luncheon where they have temp, which is great because it mixes the worlds of television and movies, each uh, tables for each of the 10 uh, best films of and movie and series of the year and then um, all the studio heads come so it was a really great opportunity to mingle with the likes of toby emmerich and ann sarnoff of of warner brothers or peter rice and dana walden of disney or uh you know i'm pretty sure you found tim cook in there somewhere tim cook was at the coda table telling me it was his favorite movie of the year he like stood up and posed for a picture (laughs) i'm like i'm i'm very cool right but tim cook i was not cool that that was amazing to to meet him powerful guy but why is he there why is he there he's there because he has a shot at a best picture win 
and he wants to be um, associated with the winner and he wants to everyone to know that that's his movie Apple Apple movie just like Jeff Bezos is used to be at Amazon right. he wanted to well, own I mean look when there is an Oscar he, contender like um, it, Manchester by the sea or something for all the the questions of you know do the Oscars still matter does anybody care yada 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 it's still a big deal when a company wins one as a major in a major category so I would assume the top executives, even if this isn't like a part of the company that they manage too closely all the time, want to get involved when it seems like it's going to be a successful story. And if it's not, they can kind of, you know, no, deal no. With other things. he was throwing, so. throwing his weight in there. And and uh, and also, you know, Netflix is the top of the walk. Ted Sarandos was there. The power of the dog. Jane Campion finally out of covid jail, um, working the room, hanging with Meryl Streep and and uh, Ari Wegner, the cinematographer who has a shot at being the first woman uh, cinematographer to win the Oscar. So then we had um, the it was, you know, the, the whole MGMUA team. So today, the MGMUA merger has gone through with Amazon. And uh, and apparently all the big executives are going to get offers and they're going to keep their jobs. And so the uh, MGMUA people, uh, we will see what their approach to, you know, they're saying that they're theatrically friendly. And that is what Zaslav, the guy who's from Discovery, who's merging with Warner Brothers, is saying he too is going to be theatrically right. friendly. So we shall see. These are the two big chifts in the zeitgeist uh, in Hollywood. But it was fun. I mean, there was a whole... New Line reunion with all these people who work at all the different studios now. There was like a generational thing. The heads of Searchlight, uh, the Greens, are friends with uh, Pamela Abdi, who's the head of uh, MGMUA with Michael DeLuca, who runs that. And, uh, you know, they were all hanging out with each other in this very, in that giddy mood that people have when they've been locked up for a long time and they're seeing each other socially for the first time. Right. And some semblance of, of, you know, productivity too. they're putting movies out there this event happening is that something must be working it's a reflection that something must it's be a, working it's a reflection of success and celebration if licorice pizza is one of the top 10 contenders mgm you know is is excited about that and uh warner brothers has king richard and dune legendary mary parent another new line uh donna langley of universal another new line uh, uh alumnus uh so and michael deluca who had been their old boss back then in the day so that that was a joy and toby emmerich of warners they were all hanging out um and it was it was fun to see uh troy kotzer and ariana debose hanging out uh, the two people most likely to win in the supporting category for uh coda and and mm-hmm. west side story um and uh, then on saturday uh the dga I went to the symposium in the morning, which I always enjoy in a wonky way because you get the directors talking for over two hours. And in this case, it's the DGA nominees. So that included Denis Villeneuve and Kenneth Branagh and Steven Spielberg and Jane Campion. Um, and rock stars. Uh, PTA, right? Mm-hmm. So it was fun for me to see uh, how they interacted with one another and That's what their such different a approaches long were. were. Two hours. It was a very long, long time. Long time to sit there. One of my favorite moments came when Jane was going through her process of digging into the character of Phil Burbank with Cumberbatch and how she tried out this uh, dream guru who took, who took her through her fears and how she... Um, 
worked with Benedict, and he 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 did the Dream Guru, and 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 after she went through this long thing about how they all discovered their characters, uh, Steven Spielberg, who was next, sort of said, "Well, I just wait for the actors to show up on the set and see what they give me." He was really kind of like, "I'm a guy, you know, feminine." crazy you know he was he was really dissing her um and the old uh, rivalry between the piano and and uh saving private ryan or you know schindler's list still there so um so so saving private ryan was shakespeare in love that's right. right um so so the the you know it's just fun to see the dynamics but the dynamics played out um so that night campion won at the dga as everyone expected her to do and Maggie Gyllenhaal won again for The Lost Daughter as the first time director and then the yeah. next day was the BAFTAs and the Critics Choice Awards so the BAFTAs again power of the dog as I suspected director and picture and then uh, for uh, the Critics Choice again power of the dog director picture um, but at the Critics Choice Awards Campion uh, put herself out there comparing herself to, you know, because Venus and Serena were in the room at the King Richard mm -hmm. table, um, praising them and, and saying how great they were. But then she ad-libbed this moment of saying that, but they didn't have to compete with men the way she did. And this did not play well on film Twitter, black Twitter, anywhere. And um, there's actually an interesting piece in the New York Times today by Wesley Morris about what really this means. And as I was reading his piece, and it was helping me to understand why people were so upset, because I took it as a mistake, you know, the kind of thing mm -hmm. that you say off the cuff that is, a, is not a good idea and didn't play well and you shouldn't say it, but yeah. she apologized. She was dancing with Venus Williams at the party, at the Netflix mm -hmm. after party afterwards, mm -hmm. and they didn't seem to have any, any rancor. But, but the, um, in the end, what impact will it have on the Oscars? And there are some people who are truly distressed by what she said, and other people who sort of shrug it off and as a mistake. And, and well, here's on. what I can tell you. I mean, I as we were recording, I saw Jane Campion last night at New York Film Critics Circle, which we can talk about. And she gave a very teary speech about bonding with Susan Sontag when she came to New York and her appreciation for Martin Scorsese, who presented to her and said some very nice things. And, you know, I, I almost felt like the tears on some level were also a reflection of exhaustion. This award season has gone on so long. She got a reprieve, though, for like a week. She got to take off a week. Uh, everyone else well, has and been then doing it nonstop. But look at the whiplash of, of from that great moment where she responded to the Sam Elliott nonsense by calling him And she him did a that bitch, beautifully. She called like, it perfectly. That, went, that like, was viral, a win, a big right? win. And then this total reversal of fortune where she ad-libs something and it comes out in a really awful way. And look, reading Wesley Morris is essential, and I'll dig into that piece. I think that there's two different things that are going on. Whether or not Venus and Serena themselves had an issue there, the way that this came across on TV was something that deserved an apology and she apologized for it. But some people are saying the damage is done. 
Well, the, the voting is, started on Thursday, the 17th, right. and it goes so, until the 22nd. So the timing couldn't be worse. But, do, but I, don't I see, checked around and I asked around with some people who are in the world. And I said, what are you reacting to this? What do you, do you, does it change the way you feel about the power of the dog or how you would vote or whatever? And um, most, the, most people in the academy are white, Eric. Well, there's you know? that, but there's They also, don't care. There, there's beyond that. I mean, I, I think there are. They the should, but they very don't. Wildly, yeah. Opinion, yeah. Opinions very wildly too about. Well, she apologized, or she apologized, and it wasn't enough, or she didn't do anything wrong. The opinions are all over the place. And the other question is, well, if you're saying it's bad for her, what does that actually mean practically? Who else are they going to vote for instead? Does that mean Spielberg suddenly rises up, or like a it's sudden Hamaguchi win? I mean. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, there was a lot of love for Spielberg on on Saturday on the DGA day at, at the actual event and uh, of this, the is, symposium. Though. No, there always He's the is. Most revered and also guy that out night, there. everybody was praising him. It was funny. Everybody was so Villeneuve devoted his speech to Spielberg and Kenneth Branagh. They were all standing Spielberg, and then Campion got to her, so she decided to stand PTA instead. <laughs> the two Indies in the yes. room, you know. And then and then PTA, when he finally got to him, he said, OK, Spielberg's had enough love. You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's enough already. Um, no, of course, people revere Spielberg, but he does represent a certain other more old fashioned side of, of, of the Academy and directors do love him. But well, we've talked a bunch about how West Side Story, a lot of people don't like that movie in the Academy, too. I don't yeah. feel the love for West Side Story. And I but you're right. Some people could decide. Uh, here's what I have picked up on. And this this is something um, I'm not alone other people have picked up on this and now that we're back out in the world talking to people the Netflix bias is real so what I perceive it's an anti-Netflix bias on the part of everyone affiliated with studios and with uh, distributors uh, big and small that who feel that they're too powerful and eat up the resources and they have they overspend there's a backlash against the overspending on the part of Netflix the billboards all of that yeah. and and the the issue um, is if, is, is if that goes too far and, and enough people... So what I... One guy came over to me at the um, nominee's lunch and said, I love Coda. I really love Coda. So why is he do, volunteering this? Why is he coming over to me and telling me this? He wants me you to know... say it right now. <laughs> yes. He wants me to know that there's support for Coda. And, but he, yeah. but he, this is someone who isn't affiliated with a studio anymore. He used to be. Um, yeah. This is someone who has no, uh, you know... Uh, no investment in the game this year. Why is he doing it? Because they want to find the alternative to Power of the Dog, and Coda is that alternative, and it does have momentum. I still think it's a long shot, but there's no other film that is as likely to take over as Coda because of the because of how well it plays with people. It's just as we've outlined many times, the you know, underdog, not strong in other categories, the indie. Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating how it's like what what the Netflix factor has brought out is just how much people vote not for the best movies, but for what they think is best for the industry. In and the old days, in the old days, the studios voted for their own pr 
pictures, you know, I mean, it was always thus. I mean, there, there is, this is one thing I do object to in, in the uh, conversation about the eight categories being cut out, which of course I decry and I don't think it's a good thing, but I'm willing to give the Academy um, uh, the benefit of the doubt to see if they can pull out a, a commercial show and Will Packer is going to give it all he's got to come up with something entertaining and try to pull the audience back in, which they need to do. So I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. But the idea that there is this pure Academy Awards, this is bullshit. It's always been a promotional thing. It used to be the studios ran the show, and, and it was about promoting their products. That's what it is. This well, is it's also pure. It's a question of, like, it's, it has a contract with ABC, and ABC wants audiences, so there's, like, there's a, a pact with the devil there because that's where their revenue comes from. So this is all dollars and cents like everything else in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, the anti-Netflix thing is is broader question also of like, who is it that they want to support going forward? It's they want to support theatrical movies. They want to support, uh, you know, people who are not controlling every facet of the industry. And that there's an element of feeling existentially threatened by the idea of this. But Coda is an Apple movie. That's a disruptive streamer, too. But they don't you, have the antipathy toward Apple, partly because they're not threatened yet. Not Apple, yet. Even though they yeah. have more money than it, God. Tim Cook so takes does more Amazon. interest in it. Yeah. Let, let him start paying closer attention to the bottom line on that front, and we'll see if they become a threat. I mean, it's a fascinating question, you know, how they're, how they're towing that line. I mean, there was a point in time where Amazon was trying to be more careful about being on the side of exhibitors now, they're not really doing that. No, they're so, not. You know, everything changes with time. Although, if Michael DeLuca changes. and his team at MGMUA have any influence over the new uh, situation there, I, I'm curious to see how that plays out. They're they're giving lip ser service to it today. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, well, let me tell you, at New York Film Critics Circle, Paul Thomas Anderson was there because he won screenplay. And he thanked not just MGM, but also mentioned Neon and Janice Films, who were in the room, for being so, you know, That's theatrically lovely. oriented. That's lovely. Um, and obviously, you know, Neon has tapped him to say some nice things about Worst Person in the World, which was there and has been doing pretty well because uh, it won international film. So there was there there are a few reasons why he was aware of those players that they, and obviously had, had seen Drive My Car, which won best film. But I think what's what's fascinating about that is that it's like it's like, who are who are my people here? You know, like who's taking the right side of history? And it's these, it's by and large, it's companies that are, you know, either have the luxury like Neon of, of figuring that out in a way that's very intuitive and can experiment or it's MGM, which could be threatened by by that later, but certainly made good on its promise with Licorice Pizza and has made that into a real theatrical movie. And now they're doing well with dogs. So, you know, it's not like it would necessarily make sense for Amazon to just shut it down outright. But it'll be fascinating to see how they how they make sense of all this, especially when another James Bond picture uh, comes up and no, uh, I mean part of what's going on now, though, in in the re in real time, is how are the studios? You know, for example, um, Warner Brothers is back to a different window. It's not the day and date thing anymore. I think it's the forty five day window for them supposedly. But Dog went to PVOD. It didn't stay in theaters as long as it correct. could no. have. It could no. have had longer legs theatrically. So you know, there's a lot of pressure on Disney to back off of its Pixar policy of taking a movie like Turning Red and, and going straight to Disney Plus with it instead of putting it in theaters, which it should have done. It was a you know, bummer. I, feel, I know. I feel Chief very strongly you. about that. That that, that 
that to me is wrong. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, you, you did put Bob Chapek on, you know, when he could still show his face <laughs> a little bit, like that little window of time. Yeah. No, and he, he was, was saying uh... <laughs> when people go back to theaters, they'll put, but that's such it's in a, the doghouse for sure. Mr. That Chapek. movie should have been in theaters. And yeah, I mean, he screwed up many times over at this point, but that that movie should have been in theaters. And it's not just the question of, you know, whether or not you think that's a good model. It's It's more like certain films, especially when they're very expensive, do actually benefit from the platform the same way that on a, on a much smaller scale when i was at south by it was like obvious that why did a24 take everything everywhere all at once to, to be the opening night there as opposed to say virtual sundance a few months earlier because the kind of platform that you get in certain physical environments cannot be replicated by you know day and date or whatever so that's you know on a bigger scale certain movies just get it's not just the batman or something they're turning red is also a movie that could have benefited in that respect so but i guess now we you know we don't know how that's going to play out from the awards front you know so what else were the high points of of the of the film critics circle i'm hope i'm assuming everybody was uh uh hoisting the drinks and feeling ebullient and and perhaps uh lady gaga gave a 13 minute speech yeah, opinions vary. I mean, I guess it's a question of at what point it actually the speech begins, you know, um, because taking she, her moment, seizing her moment. Yeah, she brought her mom out. She, <laughs> she did not um, get nominated. <laughs> but there was a, I mean, she was the rock star that night. I mean, New York Film Critics Circle is not a business entity. They sell tables that 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 support the cost of throwing on the event. So it's not like one of those things where it's like we needed this thing to to stay relevant. But I think you know, from like a media standpoint, it was she was certainly the biggest name in the room. And there was a huge throng of autograph seekers outside. And she sat through the whole thing. I mean, I presented a posthumous award to Diane Wireman that, you know, Al Gore accepted. And oh, you know, it was lovely. great to see like, but to have that mixture of people to have her and Jane Campion and Ryusuke Hamaguchi and PTA, like that blend of people. And then also to be able to do stuff like that. It, it's, it's unique to the kind of ecosystem that New York Film Critics Circle creates. And most of the people in the room are critics. All the critics have their own tables and then they bring their guests. And then there's like industry people who supported those films and the talent. So it's a very specific kind of crowd. There's no TV cameras. So any video you're seeing is like amateur stuff from phones. So people can be a little bit looser. And that's why you get these longer speeches or eccentric moments and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, she was basking in it. She talked for a while about her Italian heritage and made a lot of references to like Italian food, like meatballs and stuff. So there were some jokes about like what other kinds of Italian references are going to come up here. But you know, it felt sincere. I mean, obviously, she's not going to the Oscars, so it wasn't like she is going to be a presenter. She's going to yes, be. I'm a sorry, presenter. she's not going. To, she's not going to the Oscars in, in order to win something. So, uh, so there was a. She'll have her sincere. moment. I'm curious yeah. to see if they, if they, you know, press her into some kind of singing service. The news today. I did do an interview with Will Packer, and he promised to try to get all the nominees onto the music uh, song nominees onto the onto the show. The news today is that they're going to add Bruno <laughs> to the show. That they're going to do both the uh, Encanto nominated song and the one that isn't nominated. That's a big hit on all the billboard charts so that's a sign of what they're aiming for they're going to go make sure that the song everyone actually recognizes is going to be on the show they want it to be tv that's reflective of what an audience can identify yeah. with. And yeah, there's yeah, only yeah. A few they're going to go they're going to lean in i mean I'm, i think we can expect Billie eilish and van morrison and maybe beyonce and beyonce yeah 
Yep, yep. And the guy, yeah. Sebastian, um, who, who, Sebastian, the, the one who, who did the uh, other Encanto song. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully that makes for, for a good show that fills the time that we're not getting uh, lengthy speeches for these other categories, but we'll see how those are threaded in. So I got to go to dinner at Matsuhisa on Monday night um, uh, with uh, Hamaguchi and his producer. And uh, it was this long, narrow table and the most extraordinary Japanese uh, food, the most extraordinary sushi, uh, really wonderful. And I got to talk to him about his love of Vim vendors and why uh, even once upon a time in Hollywood inspired him to think that he could get away with listening to the radio in the car and having uh, long sequences uh, that take place in a, in a car. And um, also to experience the anxiety of the producer as he began to figure out on the set that this was not going to be a two and a half hour movie. <laughs> it wasn't going to be a two hour and 45 minute movie. It was going to be a three hour yeah. movie. Uh, it was it was fun. It was a really but you know what's wonderful am- night. amazing is with when you hear these things is that I mean it's when you see that movie there's nothing obvious about the success that it's had. No, and so you can see the producer's mindset, and yet in retrospect, you know the things that he was afraid of are the things that seem to work in this movie's favor. It's like, it's a critics movie that benefited from being a theatrical first title. So people really focused on what he was doing. And then it sold HBO max after the Oscars. I mean, that whole equation, it's so singular in terms of the success that it's had. And it was amazing to see him in New York film critics circle. He got his Lady Gaga photo, you know, but he also was like talking about Cassavetes and saluting Jim Jarmusch who, who presented to him. And so it was just, he's just a real cinephile who those kind of, the kind of mentality that rarely rises up to this level of, of awards attention. I'll be really curious to see if it affects what he does going forward. I mean, because it's- Well, you know, he has options. It sounds like he has a lot of stuff going on. I mean, he was in um, quarantine in Japan for a long time and and took that opportunity to, to keep writing. So he's got a lot of different projects on the burner there, but it sounds like he doesn't want to make, uh, he didn't say this. I don't want to quote him at all. But it sounds like um, he did. The idea is not to is duplicate what um, Coretta did uh, with the truth. You know, to to not make a Western movie that isn't as good as right. as the Japanese. fill it in with some famous European or American actors and hopefully something translates. It doesn't. It doesn't usually work out. Great. I it mean, makes you one. It makes you re- respect how good Farhadi is that he's been able to pull that off. It's very difficult to cross cultures like well, that. Well, but even Farhadi went back to Iran, you mm-hmm. know, for for his latest film, and uh, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, it's interesting though because there 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 are half measures you can take too when you have this kind of success. I mean, he makes movies that are challenging in a certain way, but are also not particularly expensive. He could make a more expensive movie that's still uncompromising right now. It probably seems more inclined to go that direction than to try to, you know, do something that doesn't really make sense. But I guess he'll win an Oscar one way or the other. And I think then, we can you know, assume that he's been sweeping <laughs> so far. I, I don't think that we're going to be disappointed um, on Oscar night. But it's also helpful to remember th- that it got nominated in multiple categories, you know, so it's it's the first time that a Japanese film has been nominated for Best Picture. And yeah, it's a big deal. And yeah. he got nominated for director and screenplay, too. So, yeah, it was it was kind of fascinating to have both Hamaguchi and Joachim Trier at New York Film Critics Circle, because that was actually the international 
film winner. So we had, we had, and then we had flea for a documentary. So it was like, we got a bunch of people from that one category. It really shows you how much, uh, you know, bleeding together has happened with the award season cycle in that respect that these international films have many other kinds of roles to play. So, and, and they were all exhausted. The world also got nominated for screenplay. So, so yep. there's, um, there's, there's room for, for move. Those actually the two screenplay categories are by far the most competitive, uh, yeah. along with best picture. Um, if, if anything, best picture really is power of the dogs to lose still, but those you, you could have Brana versus PTA, both of them long exactly. overdue. Yeah. And then you have um, on the uh, adapted side, Maggie Gyllenhaal has been winning everything. Yep. Um, and she and- was there last night too in New York Film Critics Circle basking in the Globe Best First Feature, but you know, it was more than Best First Feature. And, which, she, which she won yeah. at the DGA as well. Yeah. She beat Lin-Manuel Miranda. So he was sort of drowning his sorrows at the Critics' Choice Awards. <laughs> He'll be fine. Netflix party. But but the but the idea the idea is that um, I mean. Billie Eilish is probably going to take, you know, the song, even though Lin-Manuel is, is vying for an EGOT, but um, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but, but you could have, you could have uh, Campion when adapted, or you could have um, the, the other one is Coda, and Coda's the one yeah. that's going to win the WGA this weekend. So this coming weekend is PGA, big question mark, has to be the power of the dog, or Dune, or Coda, which would be amazing if that happened. But what does it's such it a mean? small little it, movie. They don't so, usually go for little tiny movies. They didn't go for Spotlight or Parasite. Right. So we don't, well, basically what you're saying is if Coda won, it still wouldn't it would be. It, then the fun. race is over. Then we know. Well, but what you're saying is that other, you know, Parasite didn't win that award, but still won Best Picture. So it could also be the other way around. Right. I kind of I think what we've learned um, over the past couple of weekends is that the power of dog is as powerful as we thought it was. It is the front runner. It is the one that ticks the boxes. Um, and and if anything were to catch up with it, it would be Coda. If if it were to win PGA, that would be a real sign of strength. That's yeah. It. Okay. So so we'll see what happens on that front. That would be quite revealing. But and the WGA is WGA. sort of meaningless because because it gives her momentum though. It gives Maggie Gyllenhaal if she if Maggie Gyllenhaal isn't there right and and neither is Power of the Dog. So it is it is going to be won by Sean Hedder for Coda and it will give her momentum. Just yeah. to be to be Heading in headlines and, and well liked yeah. at that event and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. So we can't discount that as, as a possibility, even if, you know, we're not, we're going to do our predictions next week. But so I'm curious. Next to week we're going to run through everything <laughs> and um, including all the shorts. So yeah. be prepared if you want to win your Oscar poll. Yeah, that's the most important thing because the voting is going to close on Tuesday. So we're not talking about, you know, how are voters changing their minds at the last minute? That will be a done deal. A lot of people have filed them already. They're they're in, you know. So so yeah. we shall, you know. There's one more weekend, and then it's done. So we'll we will um we will go through everything next week. And then I'll see you in Los Angeles. I can't you, wait to get Eric and I are going to the Oscars together as we time, have right? in the past. Yes, yeah. I'm excited. I'm glad can't to have you. To party I've been with you, I've been missing you. Yes, I know. It's about time. Okay, I'll see you for a prediction morning on Thursday. You got Have a it. nice weekend. Bye. Bye-bye. 
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.